Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Chip Nellinger. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Tractor Zoom delivering insights. If you're looking to see what's going on in the auction marketplace and track those trend lines as they develop, use Iron Comp's 500 reporting uh, auction houses to uh, gather that information and see what's happening there. Also, a great way to check to see what upcoming inventory looks like so you can't miss a beat when it comes to what happens in the market. So with that, it is great to have Chip Nellinger back on the podcast here. He comes on twice a week to sit down and talk about what's going on in the market. And Chip, I'm, I'm confused a little bit here. So we had Thursday's report come out, and it should have been the most bullish thing on the planet, but it's almost like the trade's looking at it saying like, well, we got these crop tours, and you know, it looks like there's a great. I live in Chicago, and right around here, it looks great. So, I, I guess, I guess we're going to wait and see what happens in September. I guess, what's your thoughts on that, and why is the market so discombobulated compared to what we would see in the in the in the past when it comes to a report like this? Yeah, I think that's probably a good a good summary of it. You know, I mean, it, the the yield number was shocking in corn how low it was. You know, it's like a bushel below the lowest estimate, and. Uh, we were higher, you know, but you, everybody's scratching their heads at 1130, you know, half after the report saying, why is corn not going to limit up on this? Right, right? exactly. And, and, yeah. yeah, lock limit up for two days. And, and I think part of it is, um, you know, we talked about this last week, that this August crop report anymore is different than the way it used to be. They don't do field surveys. So I think some of the assumption in the market is that when they get to the September crop report and they actually start doing field surveys and weighing ears and counting populations that that yield is going to go back up. Um, and then since they gathered that data for the August crop report, which they do like at the, you know, the last few days of, of July, first couple days of August, there have been some, some decent rains around in some areas and, you know, that have definitely helped uh, crop potential out. And so I, yeah, I think the market was a, a little bit confused by it. The other thing is that you know, I, I, I had this is my assumption. You never know exactly, but the USDA dropped corn demand by hundred and some hundred nineteen million. I think. Don't quote me on that. But at, at the same time, they raised the average cash price up fifteen cents to five seventy five. Right? That's a big cash note. That's a cash based uh, figure they're coming up with five seventy five. But the market, which you would expect, right? Smaller supply. I think the assumption is with the smaller supply, prices are going to go up. 
as prices go up, it cuts demand down. But the market just sees the decrease in demand and assumes, okay, well, you know, demand's going down. There's no need to, you know, stick this thing limit up and kind of forgets the other part of that, that, you know, it's supply and demand. And if we don't go higher and in fact, stick around here at 550 or, or lower, you're actually going to send the wrong signal to the market, increase demand and actually increase the problem. So a lot of moving parts in that. I think there was a lot of spread activity too. Um, beans didn't act very well, uh, you know, on the day of the report, but then the next day they're, you know, 20 some higher. There's a lot of uh, intra commodity spreads going on. I'll tell you the one thing that was crystal clear was uh, it was bullish on wheat. You know, that was a, a shocking cut, an aggressive cut in world uh, wheat stocks and, and carry out. Uh, you know, they whacked, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 million tons right out of it. You know, that's 300 and some million bushels right in one report. And so probably the, the take home for me was the wheat situation uh, definitely friendly. And I think that's also drove some of the spreading, right? Long, long corn, long wheat, short corn spreads, because that's a weird situation where you've got Chicago wheat that's been over, uh, I should say, uh, under corn. That's not a normal situation. So I think you had a lot of spread activity. I think you also had some farmer selling in there, right? If you're sitting here in central Illinois and you just got rain uh, last week, which a lot of areas did. Uh, you know, coming into mid-August, crops look beautiful. Yeah, I guess when you get to 590 D's corn, um, it makes sense. You know, it's massive gross dollars. So they got a lot of, of moving parts in there. It's really interesting. And I don't know if you can read too much into it, you know, that on a one day, oh, that, the market didn't act very well on a bullish report. Um, we still have a problem, you know, no, no matter what. Even if they do go back up three, four bushels even, I don't think they're going to go back up to 180, but they could add three or four bushels to it potentially. And it's still a tight situation. And you got tighter wheat stocks than a year ago. And, um, you know, and I'm not sure they're done cutting the world numbers yet. I don't think we have a full understanding of how poor the Brazilian uh, corn crop is. That's definitely going to affect things still. And so there's a lot of moving parts into this. Uh, this market. One thing for sure, it was getting a little boring ahead of that, right? All your, it's <laughs> yeah. going to rain, it's not yeah. going to rain, the right. weather model change, what's the crop report going to say? It got a lot more interesting uh, with that August crop report, that's for sure. Absolutely. No doubt about that. So uh, I guess what's your expectation for the week then? As you as you kind of start watching things happen, you know, I got my early morning report here, and let's just see if I can get back to it real fast. I want to say it looked like it was down a quarter, uh, corn was down a quarter, does that sound about right? Corn's, corn's down a quarter, yeah. uh, beans are up six to eight, the wheat's up, uh, you know, four to six, depending on what uh, what wheat class there. So, uh, so I guess, when you're looking at that, I've, I've noticed this quite a bit, you know, there's, you know, corn will kind of get beat up a little bit, but soybeans are always, seems like they're always ticking up higher, um, interday especially, I guess. So as you look at look at soybeans right now, I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, it wasn't negative on, on beans, right? They still right. cut it, um, right. eight-tenths of a bushel. And um, I think the other thing throwing the market off is they're starting to – it's so tight on beans, the USDA – and this isn't a knock against them, right? It, it comes down to 
economics and economic theory, right? They're only going to go so tight on bean carryout. And they started fudging the numbers a little bit and residual. It, it, again, the assumption is, in, from if you think like an economist, I have an econ degree, um, if you think like an economist, supply, demand, um, I think in the, in, the, in the USDA's mind, we're going to have high enough bean prices that it slows demand down. And again, like we talked about in corn, so they, they kind of fudged the numbers a little bit. They bumped up old crop carry out just a little bit. I don't know that there's anything on paper that justified that necessarily. And they kept new crop bean carry out unchanged. It's like a 3% stocks of use rate. Like it is so tight, razor thin. They can't go any tighter than that. Um, and so it's kind of the same situation as corn, I think, that we've got to take beans to a high enough level. And on top of that, for like five or six days in a row, China's starting to buy beans again, right? right. So we're seeing that demand start up right on time. It's normally, uh, you know, August, September time frame when we start seeing our demand pick up a little bit. And, and the Brazil crop, um, you know, basically be exhausted down there. There's no old crop bean supplies to speak of out of Brazil. China's been back buying beans uh, even ahead of this report. And so that demand is underneath the market. And even though we didn't, you know, it, it wasn't uh, wildly bullish on beans, uh, you know, it's too tight. Like we, we can't afford much of a hiccup in beans or we are literally out and and uh, we're the only place in the world to get beans right now and, and corn for that matter um i just don't think that brazil's going to be much in the export picture this year with their drought situation and uh this thing is it's an interesting uh, uh scenario i think end users uh was not a good report for from an end user perspective right they were hoping for bigger numbers and a dip in prices into harvest so they could get stuff bought cheaper and and I don't think this accomplished that. Yep, I think right. they're still caught short. Okay, so pro farmers out today. They're supposed to have a report out at six o'clock this morning. Um, I guess they were out. Oh, they started on Friday or Thursday last week. Uh, they they end so they start today. Okay, all right. On each leg, I think they're in okay. Ohio and South Dakota is where they start, and yep. they kind of move through the country. I think they they stop on Thursday yep. and then they release their numbers Friday after the close, I believe. So, what kind of picture do you think that's going to paint? Do you think that's going to paint the picture that you know? I, I get up in the morning and I look through Twitter and I'm you know trying to see what's going on. You know, it's a great place to I guess get unofficial news, but <laughs> it's news nonetheless. But you start getting looking at picture at people's um, pictures of. You know their crop and their corns, either this side or the other thing. You know, and and or you know too much rain or this whatever. And it's it's a pretty good cross section of the country, I guess you can kind of get that from. But what what kind of picture do you think you're going to see? I mean, all, all I've been told here and what I can see is that if you're east of the Mississippi, you have a pretty good shot of having some, a, a bang out crop. And if you're west of the Mississippi, the further west you get, the worse it gets. So I guess yeah. What's your I guess what's your thoughts there? I think that's probably a pretty good overview. I think they're going to find a really good potential in the Eastern Corn Belt. It's not perfect. Uh, they may find some, t you know, because there are periods where it was really hot and dry. And in June, you're, you're determining, you know, the, the rows around and, and the size of that ear then. So what will they find? Uh, will they, they'll probably find some tip back. They'll probably find maybe some, you know, effects of that hot, dry period in June. 
but overall, it's really good here in, in the uh, in the East. And, and I think the route they go, they don't get too far into Nebraska. Um, you know, they start at the far southeast corner of South Dakota. My point with that is, I don't know they're going to see the worst of the worst, right? Uh, but they're going to see the best of the best, and and so that likely is going to have a tendency to maybe throw a little bit of cold water. And I think that's, you know, we talked about that, why corn maybe didn't get it more fired up than it, it did uh, was uh, the fact that they assumed that yields could creep a little bit higher mm -hmm. as you go forward in the September and, and probably more importantly, the October crop report uh, is going to be a big one this year. Yep. Um, because a lot of this crop in the East was planted early enough that you're going to have pretty good data and some early harvest activity by the time that October crop report comes out. Yeah, and also from what I can gather too, from what I've what I've read on various social media sites, depending on if you're north or south, the I eighty also makes a big difference of of what your what what your drought situation looks like too. I mean, if you're north of I eighty um, in Iowa, you're not doing too well. If you're south of that, it seems like they've got a little more rain uh, than than what other parts of the country had gotten. So I guess there's just a lot of factors and variables there, and I guess it really depends on you know, if you go out looking for something and you don't see all of it and you see only the, the best of it, you're going to assume that everything else is going to be pretty much par for the course. Yeah, and I think the key will be, you know, that's my assumption. I mean, you look at it from the road. I've been, you know, north, almost Wisconsin border. I've been to St. Louis. I haven't been very far east into Indiana. I mean, it looks really good. And But if they don't, if they get in there and they're like, yeah, it's green, but there's a lot of tip back. There's this, there's that. You know, if they don't find like just knock down massive yields in Indiana and Illinois, then you've probably thrown the market a little bit of a curveball, right? I think that's what the market assumes and expects is essentially record potential out of uh, Illinois and Indiana and potentially uh, Ohio as well. Right. Yep. They're looking for. Uh Every place else is going to suffer, and, and but you know the I states are basically going to carry us home. Kind of, it's kind of this. That's kind of what I'm gathering from the conversations that I've read and and, and different comment commentators and stuff like that that I've listened to. So yeah, and and uh, and again, they don't get into the the worst of the worst either. So right. that that question is going to remain till till harvest. You know, North Dakota, big chunks of South Dakota, parts of Nebraska, parts of Minnesota. Uh, they don't get too far into Minnesota either. Um, and, and so, you know, I mean, it's as good as we can get. And not to knock Pro Farmer Crop Tour, they could do as good a job as anyone. And the market uh, mm -hmm. pays attention to it. Yeah. So we're going to be, uh, you know, every afternoon when they come out with their uh, – and Twitter, you know. I'm mm -hmm. sure there's – I haven't looked this morning. There's probably already pictures of, uh, you know, massive uh, two-foot-long ears and – there's yep. three years on every uh, stock, and you know you, right, it's yeah. probably already out there. Started. I haven't looked at Twitter much. Yeah, I'll watch it throughout the day, especially as these as the crop tour continues, because there'll be more and more people adding to the. Yeah, they're right. See how good my corn looks, or yeah, they're way off because look how bad mine looks, type of thing. So it'll be it'll be a lot of lot there's of a little of both out there, right? Yeah. You, you don't you don't see. Uh, you see some, but not a lot of mm -hmm. pictures of, of really horrible stuff. You know, it's like, well, if I'm sitting on a record crop, I don't want to rub it into the guy that hasn't had any rain all year. Right. And, you know, the guy that hasn't had rain all year doesn't want to go out in it. He already knows it's no good. Right. And so he's not going to go out there and brag about 
you know, a drought field of corn, right? Right. When guys in Illinois are, you know, going to pick some 300 bushel fields this year. I mean, right. it, so there's kind of both, both yeah. extremes there, you know? Yep. That's true. Very true. Well, good stuff, Chip. Uh, plenty of moving parts here, man. You talk about it every time you're on here, having that plan and, and developing that plan and moving forward with it. And I can tell you right now that, that this year is going to be a year that you need to have a plan and, and stick to that plan and work through that process. Because if you're – this is those years where if you're going to wait for that extra nickel, you're going to get caught and it's going to hurt you And and because it's the wide swings and, and the variability that we've seen out there. So – if folks are working on that plan, Chip, what's the first thing you're going to tell them that they need to, to step back and take a look at? Uh, costs and uh, gross revenue potential, right? I mean, that plan is totally different. If you're in central Illinois sitting on what you think is a record corn crop or if you're in you know, parts of the Dakotas or you know, drought-stricken areas that you know, don't have half a crop potentially. So right. totally separate for each individual. Um, but, and it's customized, right? It comes down to what's your cost structure? What do you need, um, out of your crop? What's break even? What's your crop insurance plan that plays into it? And that is different for everyone. So it, it, it's not a one size fits all type of a plan. Right on. And if folks are working on that plan and need some guidance on that chip, what's the best way to get a hold of you and the guys at, uh, Blue Reef to help them through that? Yeah. Best way is just call our office, uh, directly our Morton, uh, main office 309 five five zero seven two one three and uh we'd love to have you know have a conversation with you about uh, what your plan is and and uh you know how we might be able to help improve it or help the execution part of it right on get chip a call folks smart guy him and the guys out there at, at blue reef know what they're talking about so make sure you make sure you give him a shout so i'm casey seymour with moving iron podcast make sure you check me out on facebook twitter and instagram that's where you're going to find the latest editions of the moving iron podcast as they come out also go to moving for the entire library of the moving iron podcast as well as any blogs i have posted there as well um a lot of stuff going on. Moving Iron Summit's coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, 15th through the 17th. It's pretty well sold out. So if you're thinking about coming to that, um, I might have just a little bit of space left. But uh, give me a shout, and I'll see if I can't uh, can't squeeze you in. Hit me up at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com, or go to the website and click on the Moving Iron Summit and navigation bar, and just fill out the Contact Me section there, and I will be sure to get back to you. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Chip Melger. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher